episode 30 of Strange Brow Radio. I'm your host, Tobe Johnson. Here we are again. Thank you for tuning in. Today's guest, Christopher O'Brien, author of Stalking the Herd, Cattle Mutilation Cases. Very interesting fella. Also a contributor on Ancient Aliens. He's going to go on the record about Bigfoot. He dove right in with some other guests back a month ago for our second annual Secrets of the Sasquatch the Axe and Fiddle Pub, so I whittled together that for you guys to listen to. But what would the show be without our sponsors? Check out Etsy. That's where you can go to Feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N, Etsy.com. Spirit tools, all sorts of spirit tools. Check it out at Etsy. Also, Wood Watcher. Type that into Etsy, Wood Watcher. These are spirit totems, things that I carved. Chainsaw carving, what the heck? Yeah, I got into it. Now you can order your own wood watcher. They'll be there for a little bit. New inventory every week from both those sites. All right, next up, Christopher O'Brien. We'll be right back. Thank you again for tuning in. Before we get to our guest, Christopher O'Brien, I wanted to discuss what's upcoming the rest of the year. We've had some, I guess, surprises, venue surprises. Up here in Washington State, there is a rather impromptu book signing with author, investigator, and legend Ron Moorhead. That is going to be in the town of Kingston at the Point Casino. That's upcoming on Saturday the 17th, not too long ago at all. So if you want to come up and meet Ron in person, he's going to be at 7989 Northeast Salish Lane in Kingston, Washington from about 1 to 4 p.m. doing a book signing. But I'll also be there. I'll have a table adjacent to Ron and be doing a live podcast. And that's where you can come talk to me. And we can do some witness testimony together with Ron in the conversation with us if he's not signing books and between us we will have Biggie that is the lifelike Sasquatch that I built for Ron that's his name Biggie and he lives out the part and we're going to set him up at the Point Casino until the actual Bigfoot conference that's happening in October So if you want to be a part of meeting Ron for the first time or just come enjoy yourself with some like minds, Ron will be there. He'll have his books, his CDs. I'll be doing a podcast. Biggie will be there. He has his own Facebook page if you want to get a load of what I'm talking about. I think all you have to do is go on Facebook and type in the word Biggie and he'll pop right up. You can check out this little fan page. And then I'll have some of my chainsaw art there. I'm sure I'll have a few Sasquatch heads. In fact, I'm working on a, on a couple larger size ones. So we'll have all price ranges represented. So that's where we'll be, the Point Casino. Then after that, we're headed out to the E. Seti Ranch. That's the 5th and 6th of September. So after Labor Day weekend. Now we had planned to do this on Labor Day weekend. But there were some hurdles that we couldn't overcome, mainly me, and we had to postpone it for a week. Um, I think it's a good thing because the 5th is a Thursday, the 6th is a Friday, and there's not going to be a lot of traffic there. That'll give us a a chance to have the ranch all to ourselves. 
So if you want to be a part of that, shoot me an email at strangebrowradio at gmail.com or strangebrow at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can uh, shoot me an email any which way. But uh, if you don't and you just want to show up there, all you have to do is get a ticket. And you go to the ECETI website. If you just type in E-C-E-T-I and Google, it'll pop right up. And then you want to go to schedule and book the 5th and the 6th, Friday, Thursday and Friday. And it's $35 a night. And you can squeeze in three people into a campsite. Now, you can bring your camper or whatever, and that can be your campsite. You can also get uh, accommodations. I think they have a little yurt-style situation. The cheapest thing to do is to, to come rough it with us in the ESETI field underneath Mount Adams. And bring your warm clothes, bring your hot clothes, bring your camping gear. Uh, lawn chair, camping equipment uh, of all sorts would probably help you out. They do have facilities, but you are out in a field. Think of it like Woodstock at Area 51, only it's more of like a definite kind of hippie vibe going on there. There's stuff that happens on and around the ranch, and especially Mount Adams. There's UFOs, there's portals. Dare I say that there might even be fae or fairies? Is that too much for the listener to hear? Bigfoot stuff, too. Even a blonde Bigfoot. So check out East Eddie Ranch. That's September 5th and 6th. 35 bucks a night. You can't beat that. And we'll probably do some stuff besides hanging out at the ranch. There is some itinerary if you go on Facebook and type in um, the Strange Brow East meetup. Or just look for Strange Brow Radio on Facebook. You'll see the event page. It'll tell you all about it. And then I hope to see you there. I think there's about... Uh, 10 or less of us uh, at this point that are going to be heading out that way. Okay, then going down the road to October 25th, we changed up some things. We had our mummy costume party down in Cottage Grove, Oregon. Our venue point has changed because we have been invited to do a special event on October 25th, a live podcast out of Manresa Castle and Port Townsend, Washington, and it is every bit of a castle. Now, it's a hotel now, but, oh, just type it in. Go look at Manresa Castle. It is storybook awesome and ghost central and awesome tapas foods and a great bar, and we are going to do our live event at a Manresa Castle on the evening of October 25th, time yet to be discussed. So those are the changes coming up. And then on the 26th, I hope to make a general announcement about Strange Brow Radio in general. That's what's the news. I'll let you know if anything else is coming up. Next up is Christopher O'Brien. Now, the way this is broken down is that Christopher O'Brien was part of the Secrets of the Sasquatch last month, along with some other people that were discussing 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 the hairy hominid question they did so on a time limit so what you're about to hear is a 10 minute and a 15 minute interview broken up into two parts and we did kind of a round table discussion where everyone had an initial point of view for 10 minutes and then we took a break and then they could come back and they could do another 15 minute counterpoint to their original point, or they could spend that 15 minutes discussing it with another researcher, either who was in person or on the screen with them via the video connection. 
So that's where Christopher Ryan is. We're going to jump right into the interview and we'll go from there. All right. I give to you author of Stalking the Herd and contributor of Ancient Aliens, researcher Christopher O'Brien on his point of view about Sasquatch. Yeah, I'm really glad that I was able to follow Tom and Ron. Uh, I think it's important for everybody to listen very carefully to what these two gentlemen and uh, I think very insightful people are saying. And I think what Wendy and, and Ira also coming from their particular vantage point, I think they're going to have um, some things that you need to remember when, when you're thinking back on this. And hopefully this is going to be streamed so that it'll, it'll be there for posterity. Uh, like Tom and Ron and Wendy, I, you know, I'm not really here as a ufologist uh, or a, a cattle mutilation researcher or a Bigfoot researcher. I'm, I consider myself an anomalist. I parked myself in South Central Colorado from 1989 to 2002. And basically what I did was I studied everything that happened there that um, maybe was a little bit off, <laughs> strange, uh, not explained. Anomalous uh, is, is the word that I prefer. And when you're looking into these things that go bump in the night, that um, you know, others may consider to be fringe subjects or uh, woo woo, as Ron <laughs> uh, voiced the uh, the meme. Uh, woo woo is now a meme in in culture. When you're looking at these subjects, uh, I think it's important that you don't have blinders on, where you're only looking for Bigfoot, you're only looking for UFOs, you're only looking for dead cows on the ground or ghosts that go woo in the night. Now, it's important to understand that we live in a very um, mercurial and tricksterous reality. And I found in my 13 years of investigating in this one location that when one thing is going on, chances are a bunch of things are going on. So... To give you an example, in December, the late December of 1994, we had an outbreak of Bigfoot reports. I'd never investigated a Bigfoot report. My grandfather was involved in one. My brother's been involved in a a near encounter, and I had a near encounter in 79. But I've never really investigated anything like this. And at the time, I had been investigating pretty much full time all kinds of UFO stuff, cattle mutilations haunted sites and other things for about a year and a half. And when this particular outbreak of Bigfoot sightings happened, there were seven reports in a week. And they were at the dead of winter in the San Luis Valley, which is at 7,500 feet in elevation. We're talking below zero weather. Uh, And then when the sun comes out, because it's so high, it's 7,500 to 8,000 feet in the air, the ultraviolet radiation of the sun is able to melt ice and render what was formerly mud and frozen mud to to kind of soften it up. And we had one set of foot or uh, a double set of footprints that went in this one particular sighting of the seven that went hundreds of yards over snow, ice, 
uh, down and, and, and actually crossed the creek and uh, was able to, uh, the sheriff and the deputy were able to videotape the tracks going up and over the hill. Um, they would lose it. They would find it. Now, these are barefoot tracks that were laid down in below zero temperatures. Now, number one, <laughs> if you could find 10 feet of tracks of a human laid down, let's say Shaquille O'Neal's bigger cousin uh, with size 25 feet or, or size 30 feet decided to walk down the hill to the Canaas River. He's going to leave tracks, sure, but he's not going to be He's not going to be walking very far, is, is, is my point here. And I was called out on this case by the sheriff. This was my first Bigfoot investigation, if you will. And uh, I was absolutely amazed. Um, I could go into much more detail about the account. Don't have time. Um, all I'm saying is that when this was happening, we had probably the most amazing report made by the government uh, by NORAD, actually, the, and Strategic Air Command, uh, to exhaust all efforts to find the source of a fire that ended up being a huge uh, UFO sighting. Uh, during the same time, we had over two dozen UFO sighting events in the week and a half period around the Bigfoot reports. Uh, we had cattle, cattle, uh, a cattle mutilation case that wasn't near us, but, but further away. And this is when I really was kind of smacked in the head. You know, I like, you know, the, the sort of wake up, smell the coffee. This is what's going on, dude. When one thing happens, there's chances are there's going to be a lot of other phenomenal events that can't be explained going on. And so very fortunately, early on in my investigative efforts in Colorado, I was shown the need and, you know, the approach of embracing everything within my reality when there's things going on. So in other words, I'm looking for aberrant weather. I'm looking for aberrant social behavior. I'm looking for unusual amounts of roadkill, which I think is a big indicator. If all of a sudden for a few days you see a lot of roadkill, there's something weird going on in your neck of the woods, for instance. Um, my investigation into blowdown events in virgin forests where large 80 to 90 foot to 100 foot trees are being blown down like in crop circles. This work led me uh, into some amazing potential, I would say, um, maybe coincidental correspondences uh, with other uh, types of phenomena. <coughs> But it also got me some funding for a couple of years by a rich philanthropist. So if, if you start doing things creatively and you start looking creatively, and I think this is important. Tom brought this up, I think, at the get-go perfectly. You really have to be open for new and different ways of approaching your subject matter and your investigative efforts. I think it's absolutely imperative. One thing that I've noticed about Bigfoot, they tend to cluster around areas where we have large cavern systems. I think there is an obvious subterranean element to these creatures, I think especially in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I think that there's a, a connection between some sort of a, a ability to access 
some sort of dimensional capability. My brother was involved in a sighting where there were only four prints, one on the side of the road, one in the middle of the road, which was so pristine because it was laid down in, in, in kind of wet clay. And the print was so perfect, you could see the skin whorls in the print. And then there was a third print on the other side of the road, a, a slashed print going up a hillside and a broken uh, large pine bough. When my brother came around, the horses had bucked them off. There was a group of, of him and some horse riders. The, the bucket had, uh, the, the, the bucking had knocked them off their horses and made them um, stay in one place because they could smell it uh, as well. You know, the horses obviously did. And when they went around the curve to where the actual trackway was, um, on the left side, the hair, uh, the, uh, the grass was still coming up out of the track where the, the pressure of the footprint had, had knocked it down. What really startled them was there were no tracks approaching the road. And at the top of the little hill with the last track that kind of swooped in the mud, there were no tracks leaving. Now, the first thing you would think is maybe they were up in the trees. Maybe they had climbed up in the trees. One that's minute. Not the, that's not the case. There were no trees near the edge of the road. They'd been knocked back. Um, my brother you know, grew up as a hunter, uh, has all the outdoor skills uh, to, to track. He was a good tracker, um, as am I. And when you don't find tracks leading to a trackway or leading away, and you don't have any other way to explain that these tracks, they were obviously laid down by something uh, physical, then you have, to, you have to come to the conclusion that there is something else going on which may involve their accessing other aspects of our reality. And I think that's where Ron's idea of the quantum Bigfoot is absolutely, absolutely spot on. I think this is a, a really great way to, uh, to approach the next phase of these types of investigations. And um, my thanks uh, to Toby and, and everybody for having this uh, event. It's kind of out of my realm, but uh, hey, you know, I've, uh, I wrote a, a chapter in the Journal of Sasquatch uh, Studies, Volume 2, about San Luis Valley and Southern uh, Rockies uh, Bigfoot reports. I invite you to uh, check it out. And I hope to do more, uh, to more, you know, do more work in this area. I really do. I want to thank our sponsor, Farrell by Aaron, yet again. Now, I've mentioned time time again on the show that Farrell by Aaron is our one sponsor. But with a sponsor like this, you don't need any more because the fact is that these spirit tools actually work. And what do they work with? Well, they work with the elements of the earth, and they're housed and built by an artisan out of the Olympic Peninsula, Aaron Jackson. Check out Feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N at Etsy.com. Drums, rattles, smudge sticks, and coming soon, alchemy boxes. These are one of a kind, each one one of a kind. We're not talking about a factory here. And as two people told me, her instruments sing, in particular the drums. So check out Feral by Aaron. Give it a like, review, subscribe, share, go on the Instagram, and... Give a little love. May give it right back to you. Feral by Aaron at Etsy.com. You know, I kind of feel like a fish out of water a little bit. Uh, my investigative uh, efforts 
unfortunately, really, um, have been uh, spent, you know, in the other hundred different phenomenal type events that um, have been occurring around South Central Colorado, where I was doing most of my investigative work back in the 90s. And I do have a, a Bigfoot experience, uh, on the, actually on the western uh, base of Mount Shasta, um, right where the mountain actually goes up out of the ground and goes up that big cinder cone, goes up into the air. And um, didn't see it, sure heard it. Uh, it was not happy that I was there. It crashed through an impenetrable hedge of Mountain Huckleberry or, or Mountain Madrona, whatever it was. You couldn't even put your fist in, in, in the six, seven foot hedge. And this thing was coming through it. It was really angry that we were there. It was We were the first people up this logging road that year. Um, it's the first week of April. Uh, we got a real good smell of it. I thought first thought it was my buddy needed to change his shorts, <laughs> but uh, that quickly uh, wow uh, it was uh, <clears throat> corrected by a sound that was so loud that it bounced off foothills over a half a mile away. Um, the ultrasonics uh, rendered me functionally unconscious. I don't know how how I ran down into tree line and down about an eighth of a mile to where the van was. And I don't remember getting into the van and taking off. I do remember seeing the van almost going off the road from my buddy uh, driving too fast and getting him in the head to get him to slow down. Um, I have never actually gone out looking for Bigfoot. I'm probably the only panel member here that uh, can say oh okay i you know i've always felt you know if, if i had some sort of issue with bigfoot or bigfoot had an issue with me that um it would be the one in charge of any sort of meeting or or a rendezvous and i've always been prepared and i had a i think an encounter uh again the first one up the up the uh the trail uh the mowich lake trail north side of Mount Rainier. I grew up in Washington State. Uh, actually, I grew up within 40 miles of Mount Rainier, Kent, Washington, sort of the Kent Maple Valley area, Black Diamond. And uh, I was up there with my girlfriend and living in New York for 12 years at this point. And uh, we bushwhacked our way up the Carbon River, a uh, wonderful trail. No one there, didn't see a soul. Uh, the actual uh, Mowich Lake entrance was closed. We had to park outside of it. And when we got up about four or five miles up the trail, I heard a whistle ahead of us um, that did not conform to any of the local uh, whistle-producing fauna, <laughs> birds, uh, you know, maybe some sort of marmot or, you know, rock, rock chuck or whatever you call those uh, you know, prairie dogs or anything like that. I've never heard the piercing sound that I heard echoing through the uh, wonderful virgin growth cedars and dug firs. My girlfriend, who had never been out of the city, said, oh, what kind of bird is that? And I told her, I've never 
I grew up around here and I know every inch of this place. I've never heard a bird like that. I said, maybe we should think about going. And so we kind of started to turn around and behind us, we heard the same kind of whistle, but louder and higher in pitch. Um, I said, let's go out to the river. So we were about a hundred feet from the river. We went out to the river. We decided to let them have, well, I did. She didn't, had no idea what was going on. Um, we walked about 40 or 50 feet, came back to the trail after some time out on the, on the uh, beach. And uh, both of the whistle producing things, whatever they were, uh, started talking to each other, but both uh, by each other. And I never felt uh, any sort of um, fear. I never felt any, anything negative, uh, for lack of a better term. I felt that we were just being told that they were there and they knew we were there. And there was almost like a, a questioning tone. It was like, you know, there was a little, it lifted up at the end, like, uh, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's the only way I can describe it. So we walked out. Unfortunately, um, you know, I, I took a bunch of photographs because I figured, hey, there's got to be, you know, there was, there was, it was pretty clear through the, through the trees in the area. And so, you know, we, I was able to see quite a distance. There wasn't a lot of undergrowth, a lot of moss in this particular part of the trail and, um, I don't know if anyone's ever gone up the Carbon River, uh, up towards Ptarmigan Glacier and been to Spray Park or that part in the north uh, side of Mount Rainier. But it is, it is, you know, if I if I could have my ashes <laughs> scattered somewhere, it would be at Spray Park. Anyway, I, I bring this up only for for the following reason, and that is most of the time when you have a memory inducing, you know, just a really cool experience. That is not what you were, you know, out looking for. In other words, you, you just have it when you least expect it. And uh, you always have to be ready at any time when you're out in nature, try to keep your mind as, as, as clear and as pristine as possible. And, and, you know, go into a meditative state. Um, I'm very fortunate that I've, I studied meditation at a very early age, and I, I, I really feel that I've kind of mastered certain techniques to put myself in a place of uh, stillness um, almost at all times. And when you're in that kind of space, in the right place, and chances are the right time, um, be prepared for what's going to happen and make sure you have your cameras and um, any sort of instrumentation ready. Because what we really need is is scientific, we need to establish scientific parameters around these phenomenal events. Um, my camera project in the San Luis Valley called UFODAP, UFO Data Acquisition Project, that map you see behind me, there's going to be three cameras set up on the Great Sand Dunes, and we're attempting to capture fluctuations in the Earth's magnetic field, fluctuations in the gravity field, and, um, you know, good quality, um, high-res high optical imaging of events as they occur in this San Luis Valley hotspot area. And I really urge everyone to think scientifically, but to act spiritually. 
Um, there is a marriage between the two. I don't think a scientist alone can uh, inhabit these mysteries and, and, and potentially have insight into them. I don't think um, a, a someone who's totally spiritually involved uh, without that, science, that extra scientific edge and that, that level of understanding, uh, which is, is you need to study to get there. Um, it's a combination of the two, I think, that is going to break the door down uh, towards mass acceptance uh, and academic and scientific acceptance of these mysteries. And I think it's important for everyone to you know, support and to understand efforts that are taking place that have to do with the scientific method um, combined with spirit attempting to establish a baseline of data for all these types of you know, in really incredible mysteries that we're talking about. And I applaud all my fellow panel members for all the wonderful, wonderful work they've done. Ron, uh, you're a big hero of mine. It was a real pleasure of meeting, uh, meeting you last year at um, David's um, the 411 conference, the Rocky High uh, Mystery Conference. Uh, the vocalization work uh, is, I, I think, groundbreaking. Um, I really, really uh, am a little kind of wondering why I'm here because this is not really where I put my investigative efforts, but uh, this is a part of me. Uh, it's probably the earliest interest I had in the paranormal was Bigfoot. Like I said earlier, my grandfather was involved in a sighting in Great, uh, Grays Harbor, uh, Washington in 1918. My brother had an amazing sighting in the uh, mid-70s up by Stevens Pass in Washington. And I had my sighting that I partially described uh, the first week of April 79 on Mount Shasta, right near where um, uh, Aaron spent eight years, Siskiyou County, uh, doing the kind of work that I'm describing. So, hey, hats off to all you guys, really, uh, Tom um, and everybody, Ron. It's, it's really, I think, important to uh, move this thing forward with a marriage of spirit and science. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, I'd like to just thank you for your comments. I mean, everything you said is on target with, as far as I'm concerned. You can't make something happen when you're out in the woods. You've got to go out there and just be still. Don't be analytical. Just be quiet. And mm -hmm. I think if a lot of people want to know, what do you do to get Bigfoot interaction? Well, you don't. You just <laughs> be who you are and be somebody good. What? <laughs> I say good. We, I don't think we're all that good, but you got to be have have some kind of love in your heart and yeah. caring about what's going on in nature and what's happening uh, around you. And uh, just yes. be still and know that something is probably there that you're not seeing. And <laughs> if you want to interact with it, well, it'll, it, you can't make them do that. They're gonna, either going to do it with you or they're not. You can't make them do it. So well, thank you again for your comments. All right, that's the sound of a keystone light being cracked up. That's the show. Thank you again to Ron Moorhead for tuning in and piping in towards the last part of that conversation with Christopher O'Brien, who I thank very much. Second annual Secrets of the Sasquatch, and I'll let you know more about the third one. Maybe there'll be a venue change. Stay tuned, October 26th. Also, come see Ron and I at the Point Casino. Uh, you got to come there. It's in the hotel. It's going to be great. Go to the hotel portion, not the casino portion, at the Point Casino. August 17th, that's going to be in the town of Keystone. Kingston. 
Keystone is the beer I have in my hand. Oh, dear. Okay. You know what's happening. I am out of here. And I will see you. If not at the Point Casino, I'll see you in the trees. <laughs> <laughs>